Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Nick, before we get going with today's episode... Do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Hell yeah, I do. I'm on screens too damn long, man. It's, this pandemic is killing me. I'm constantly doing everything on screens. Well, rough, man. let me tell you something, Nick, because I may have a solution. Baxter blue glasses are not your average frames, my friend. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the high energy blue light, eliminating 99% of the glare. Say, the glare. 99% of the glare, Nick. Damn. Wiped out. The past year, we've all been glued to our devices more than ever, as the copy tells me to note to host to tell a story. And our exposure to digital light has soared, and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Nick, how many hours, uh, uh, by the way, this is just a random question, but how many hours of sleep are you getting a night? Probably like, I got a baby, man. It's got to be like five of them lucky. Five or five to six hours a night. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably in the same boat. Uh, my daughter wakes up at 6 a.m. And this is perfect for Baxter Blue glasses. But Baxter Blue is also a force for good, Nick, and provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. Okay, because I know your eyes are strained. So this is the eyewear that's built for our digital age. And Baxter Blue is giving our listeners 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep, or even kids glasses, Nick. Okay, you click the link in our show notes for the exclusive discount, folks. So all you got to do right now, if you're listening to us on whatever podcast platform you use, check out the episode notes. You'll see a link there for Baxter Blue and you can buy these Baxter Blue glasses and get your 10% off because we know you will love your Baxters and we know that you will feel the difference. Hey, hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And finally, busting out the polo, I'm Nick Saveri. 
Polo with a blazer, though. You got to mention the blazer part, though. You know, you know, there's some people that, you know, listen on That's audio. Yeah. You know, it, it's fair. Like today, today is like just, you know, fusing these two things now, like the the polo comes to, you know, comes to me from a new service, which we will not get the names of until we get sponsorship from them. By the That's way. correct. But, um, but yeah, no, I, yeah. I mean, yeah, the jackets, jackets, how I roll usually, you know, blazer with t-shirts. Now it's, t- you know, blazer with polos. Like folks, you have to understand, like, you know, pre-show Mike is on me about my appearance. It's like, have you shaven? You, you get, you get your head thing straight. You know, like it, it's nonstop. It's worse than my wife. So I, I got to come correct or, as you know, as Mike will sometimes say, don't come at all. So it's you know it's rough, right. rough out here. You know, no, it is true. So, uh, I, I'm always on you of you know getting that getting that shaven trim. Uh, you didn't follow suit today, but neither did I though. So we'll, but we'll you know just what tr- though. But you know, I'm, I'm rugged though, rugged because of the jacket and the polo. Like it's right. like you know business on the bottom, but like you know mild level UFC fighter on top. Like <laughs> it kind of works though. Sure, sure, sure. If, if that's the look you're going for, uh, we, um, I, I forgot to shave today. We'll, we'll chalk it up to a laundry day, uh, type situation for my face and hair. Like but, he um, who is without sin, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, how are you doing, Nick? By the way, uh, a lot of people don't know, you know, obviously, we've, we've taken a little sabbatical in between our episodes, and the next three episodes are going to be some pretty heavy topics. But how are you doing, sir? I'm good, man. Good, good to be back on. Good to be back with you doing, you know, doing what we love to do. Um, but all is well. Family's good. Weather's getting better. You know, yep. we got, I mean, you, you all can't see this or you obviously can't hear this. Duh, it's an audio media, medium. But um, yeah, we're recording now when the sun is not quite out yet. So the days are getting longer, which always puts me in a better mood because I always enjoy good sunlight, more sunlight. So that's that's where I'm at, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well, man. You're right. Uh, I, I'm obviously back in New York recording and uh, days are getting longer. It feels great. Um, we... Where I mentioned it a couple minutes ago, where the next couple of episodes, we're going to get into a bunch of different topics uh, with some fantastic guests coming on the program. Um, we're going to touch on what's happening in Israel and Palestine uh, with a history professor. Uh, we're going to discuss um, not only the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, but you know racial injustices in this country with author Chad Sanders, who will be coming on in a few weeks. And tonight's episode, we're going to have Sabrina Rodriguez from Politico joining us to really discuss what's happening at the border. You know, for weeks, we saw so much in the news sector, specifically right-wing media, really targeting the Biden administration um, in terms of what was happening at our nation's border. And, and, and rightfully so, there has been a migrant surge at the border, specifically from the Triangle Nations of El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. And so we really wanted to get somebody on to discuss all this and can think of nobody better than the immigration reporter, Sabrina Rodriguez, that's been on the program before in a different context. You know, she came on last time to discuss really what it was like to be a female journalist and, and competing in D.C. and, and getting uh, quotes from senators and, and reporting on the news of the day. Now she's transitioned at Politico uh, to one of her strengths, which is, you know, foreign policy, specifically around Central and South America. And so she's coming to us, obviously wearing a different hat of Politico, but she was recently at the border uh, and did a, a fantastic article, which Nick has alluded to should be nominated for awards. Um, and we'll we'll say that to her when she comes by. But um, the, the article is fantastic. Check it out, political.com. And it really touches upon 
what she saw firsthand, what's happening, uh, the different officials, local law enforcement officials that she spoke to down there, the people at the Biden administration that she spoke to. It's an all encompassing story. And we were just, you know, so excited to have her on again, the relationship we have with her, but really wanted to get not only her account, but we want to dive into there's always a political angle around it, right? This is always a politicized issue. Um, we're going to get to that with Sabrina. But your thoughts on the overall topic and what is happening at our nation's border? You know, it's interesting the last couple of days, you know, the, the attention has been from an international focus to what's going on in the Middle East. Um, so, you know, obviously the world pays attention there. But the reality is that when we think of borders that have you know, continue to be controversial, we think of the southern border. Um, and historically, I think one thing that Sabrina would speak to, and I think anyone who's been paying attention to this understands is this is a longer standing discussion. Um, you know, we're Republicans shockingly, shockingly will obviously with the Democratic president make it more of an issue, you know, and put on their flak jackets and start, you know, popping out of the uh, <laughs> on the fields like Ted Cruz. But this is something that that comes before President Biden. This comes even before President Trump. And it's it's a conversation that I'm excited about because I think a lot of us in so many areas in um, international policy are basically basically talking out of our ass. So I think it's important to actually have someone on the ground who can just give us a just a straightforward answer to what is going on down there. Is it really a crisis, quote unquote? Is that really just a politicized term? You know, what does it mean to be a country founded by immigrants where more immigrants are coming to the country? You know, um, as you were as you were saying that, um, I think about my father coming here from Cuba in 1961 and, you know, obviously my family immigrating to this country. And um, you summed it up best right there. You know, we are a nation of immigrants and um, obviously taking the, if you can take the politics out of this, at the end of the day, there obviously is issues in those countries. And there's a reason why people are fleeing to this country. So I think that's at the root of it. What, what do we do about that? Do we help those countries? Um, and then we can dive into, um, the, the politics, unfortunately, that you can't get around because of how split and divisive, uh, this topic is specifically amongst the senators. And we talked about, you know, Ted Cruz and the caravan of Republicans that went down to the border um, to do their press conferences from down there. So you really can't get around the politics of that. We are so excited to have Sabrina. I can't wait to talk to her. Nick, time for a personal question, my friend. What kind of toothbrush are you using over there? Nothing special. I mean, I brush twice a day, but, you know, whatever I get at the pharmacy. Okay. Well, let's change that up. Because I'm going to introduce you to an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth, my friend. I've heard about electric toothbrushes. Like, you got to tell me more about this because you're a little skeptical. Sounds uh, like you're a little, a little skeptical. skeptical. I mean, I've, I like my tried and true, like take it out the pack, you know, get a little tooth, a little toothpaste, do my thing. Well, right. This is an electric thing. Tell me about this. Okay. Well, Bruch is a fantastic company. Okay. And they're obviously sponsoring this program. But Bruch has powerful sonic technology and ultra gentle bristles, Nick. The brush, it just redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. Look, let me give you an example. You ever go to a dentist and when you leave, you got that fresh whole mouth clean sensation like the whole day? You I know love that about? feeling. Yes, yeah. I do. It's fantastic. Now you'll have it every single day with the brush toothbrush. Our listeners right now, folks, you're going to get 15% off your total purchase all you have to do is enter the promo code POD15. So go to our show notes right now, whatever podcast platform you're using, 
click on the link that's in there and enter the promo code POD15 at checkout when you buy this fantastic electric toothbrush. Let's upgrade your oral care routine. All right. If this was Jeopardy, she would be our two-time returning champion with a grand total of $24,500 because she killed it the first time she was here. She is an immigration reporter at Politico, friend of the program, and that is Sabrina Rodriguez. Sabrina, Mike, and Nick, thank you for hopping back on the podcast with us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. What an honor. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I worked that up all night. Um, actually just wrote it about 10 minutes ago. So we wanted to get right into some of the stories that you've been covering, obviously, from the, the side of what's happening at the border. I know a few months back, I think it was a few months back that you traveled to the southern border. Um, I want to get into not only your experiences of what you saw down there in the article that you wrote subsequent, but um, give us a little bit of an update as to what's happening with the border right now and, and the latest news that's happening around the border. Yeah, it's always fascinating to talk about this subject because it's so complicated. But, you know, the, Biden came into office and the numbers of people that were crossing the border, migrants coming mostly from Central America, those numbers were rising even before he you know, started. They started rising in about April of 2020. But once he did go into office, there's like no question the numbers escalated dramatically. And the majority of those people are getting sent back. They're using this, this order, which is like always where it gets complicated. They're using this thing called Title 42 because of the pandemic and like public health concerns. They're doing that where they immediately can send back the majority of people because we're in a pandemic and we can't accept people and they're a threat to our public health and all of that. So they're doing that you know, they've been doing that since the Trump administration and Biden has been doing that. So we saw the numbers increase of people crossing and the number of them sending back people also increasing. But part of where the like crisis on the border has been is a huge record number of unaccompanied children arriving. We've seen waves of that happen before. We've seen, you know, like increases in 2014 under Obama. We saw in like 2019 under Trump and it was a huge increase. Now, the problem is, where do you house all these children? So kind of earlier in the Biden administration, we were seeing, you know, thousands of kids are arriving and they're staying in CBP custody, which is like considered not a place for children. That's like pretty universally people agree that's not a place for children. It's more of like jail jail cell style, like detention. Um, and the law is that within 72 hours, you are supposed to get those children into shelters that were made for them that are run by health and human services department. Because there was such a backup of kids, they had, I mean, the kids were definitely staying past legal limit in these places they should not be. But the kind of update is that in recent weeks, the Biden administration was able to kind of like scale up really quickly with these shelters and move kids into these shelters. So we're still seeing a huge number of, of migrants crossing the border and them sending them back and that whole dynamic. But what has changed is kind of the treatment of the children and, and where we are in that, where it's no longer them in like CBP custody, but now they're in shelters and it's a whole question of like, okay, can you guys speed it up to get these kids reunited with family members that they have in the United States? And so now it's kind of like the the ish the the challenge point has changed, but there's still you know thousands of children right now um, that are that are in shelters in like U.S. custody essentially. You know, one thing, Sabrina, you were talking about is that 
and this is an important point for our listeners and watchers, that the number continues to rise. And it's almost been like, regardless of who's the president, regardless of political party, you know, and Mike and I, before we were looking at some data over from, you know, from the, um, you know, from Customs and Border Patrol, but you're looking at numbers that tell us that, you know, with 2020, obviously, arguably due to the pandemic, you know, there was a reduction in that. But 2019, we saw a spike. 20, 2021, we're seeing that spike. And you're giving examples now about unaccompanied children coming forward. In your reporting, what what attributes to to these rising numbers? When we're talking about just children, you know, coming to the border, um, people in general, you know, coming to the coming to the southern border looking for assistance. What's what's happening just internationally, you know, south of the border um, that's that's prompting such an uptick in, in people coming in or people trying to, to come into the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, there's a variety of factors and some of them have, you know, lasted and spanned decades. You know, you you have family that comes to the United States and it's natural that you want to reunite with that family and that, you know, they came, they settled and they're ready for you. And they want you to come over and there aren't legal pathways to do that. You know, that everyone says the get in line, do it the right way, but there's not some like formal process where you show up in Guatemala and you say, oh, okay, cool. Well, I want to go live with my aunt. Can you fly me there now? That, that doesn't exist. So that's part, that's just part of it of natural, you know, migration patterns. There's also, you know, some talk experts say of like pent up demand because under Trump, you know, he had harsher policies, him being like cracking down on the border, his restrictive immigration vision, as well as then the pandemic starting and that complicating things. Uh, there's a question too of like their seasonal patterns. Obviously, now is not the same as traveling in the middle of August, is not the same as traveling in like, you know, I, obviously there's not the same kind of winter, but traveling during December. Um, so the pattern is like seasonal. The pattern is part just pent up demand. And we're talking about, you know, these countries have consistently had issues of corruption, have consistently had issues of, you know, devastation from hurricanes. That's a really big one right now that we're seeing is last year, there were two hurricanes that hit the region and left people without anything. Um, and, and we're talking about, you know, violence. I mean, when I was down at the border and I got to actually like meet people that were crossing, nobody's telling you, oh, I'm here, I'm coming because Joe Biden's president. Like people will tell you very real life circumstances, either their child was malnourished and they just had no opportunities for jobs there. And, you know, they wanted to feed their child. That's such a reasonable thing. Um, or, you know, they were threatened that their kids were going to be killed if they didn't pay a certain amount of money to a local gang. So they left. Um, so it's all these kind of different factors. And, you know, people kind of want to reduce it to, okay, it's a new president and now he's welcoming him and that's why they're coming. But they all have very real reasons. Or I won't say all because I'm sure, you know, there's exceptions to that. But the majority of people have very real reasons for why they're trying to come. And those reasons shifted, you know, when you think about the the nations where where people are are coming from, politically, have there been shifts there? And I think of the example in, in Europe about um, like a shift to more conservative leaders. What in, in your reporting and your research are you seeing happening in, in countries like like Guatemala, for example, um, that may be sparking, you know, beyond natural disasters may also be a potential, a potential contributing factor. 
Yeah, well, there's there's kind of this, and, and I've actually been talking in recent weeks with experts about this because Kamala Harris, the vice president, is going to be heading um, down to Guatemala and to Mexico uh, next early next month. And she's kind of tackling the whole issue of like what we call the root causes of migration. And, you know, who do you work with in the region when you have track records of shady governments, of governments that are corrupt and steal the money, you know, don't actually appropriate like U.S. aid to the places it needs to go. That's an issue. That's a real issue of these governments that are mishandling funds. Or one of the things that's come up a lot when I've talked to experts is this like hope factor. And if you don't have hope in the place that you're living and you don't have hope that things are going to change or that you don't trust your government, that's going to be, that's a factor for you to leave because you don't actually think that things are going to change. So right now, for example, we're seeing a change in, it used to be the numbers coming from El Salvador were way higher and they've gone down, which is something that could change over time because we're starting to see that there's kind of an authoritarian regime or like governments there um, with Nayib Bukele. But there, when he took office, you know, this young, has a big vision president comes in and there is some level of hope that things are going to change. Um, And that's kind of how we've seen since in the past couple of years, the numbers from El Salvador go down. Uh, And right now, you know, the U.S. is kind of betting that Guatemala is the place to work with and they can work with the government there, but they can also go and work directly with like NGOs and stuff. So they're trying to figure out what the best approach is when you don't necessarily trust a government to change these conditions. And what's your assessment of that strategy? I mean, (laughs) it's, you know, the United States for a long time has had this vision of you know, addressing root causes of migration, like Joe Biden as pres- as vice president under Obama was tasked with the same thing as Harris is right now. Um, and if she's tasked with the same thing, then that can tell you that it clearly did not work when he was, when he was overseeing it. Um, and there's a whole question of if that's because he didn't have enough time or if that's because, you know, the Trump administration came in and dismantled that. But the reality is that a lot of these efforts because there aren't immediate, you know, impacts, there aren't immediate metrics of, oh, okay, look, we're succeeding. We sent them a billion dollars and now everything's okay. Because of that, that makes it harder. Um, and, and because Congress doesn't want to change U.S. immigration laws and put in place, you know, things that, you know, like I say, legal pathways where people don't have to cross the border to come to the United States and be reunited with family or to seek opportunity here. Because of that, that just kind of complicates it even more. So I don't know. I'm optimistic in the sense that the Biden administration is trying to talk about immigration in a more comprehensive, nuanced way. Like it's not just the border. It's not just root causes. It's not just one thing. Um, But I mean, the fact that no, there hasn't been a single change to immigration law in more than 20 years. So I... I'm skeptical of the U.S., uh, of Washington's ability to handle immigration. Well, let's get to that because, you know, you have a fantastic piece with Senator Carper up on on Politico. You can check it out, political.com. And you asked him similar questions. So I want to ask you, um, if we do nothing, if there are no policy changes, what happens? And then on the flip side of this, 
you know, tackling that route, that triangle, like you talked about, Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. Um, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud. In fairness to Tucker Carlson, um, he recently had the president of El Salvador on his program, right? Um, whether or not that's the forum to have him on, that's fine. But uh, that's a different episode for our Patreon portion. But um, they discussed, you know, some of the issues at hand of this country and how you keep people in this country. Is it the U.S.'s job uh, as an immigration report? Is it the U.S.'s job to help these countries during these crises? Is it our job to, as a humanitarian nation, right? We take these people in, but how much of it is our job to help these countries sustain themselves economically, you know, and viability for people to live in those countries? Because I think that's at the core of a lot of voting in terms of, you know, legal immigration, illegal immigration. So what, what, what would you say about both those things? If we do nothing, what happens? And then the flip side about those three countries specifically. Well, I think one of the first things that you hear uh, more progressives talk about, and I will say this is something I'm not an expert on, but is the question that the United States perhaps has a responsibility because it also has played a role in why things are the way they are in these countries in terms of its involvement in, you know, civil unrest and its involvement in armed conflicts in these countries that have, you know, evolved over the years into what we see today is happening there. Again, not the foreign policy expert on that front, but that is a point that comes up a lot when you talk to progressives of saying, you know, the U.S. is partially responsible for this. That's part of why you could say there's a responsibility to do it. But I mean, the reality is that if nothing changes in those countries, that guarantees that nothing is going to change in the southern border. That is not, you know, it, it's not going to change. We're going to continue to see every two years a new cycle of migrants coming to the United States and some crossing, some not, you know, even if you have a deterrence policy, even if your whole policy is that we don't accept these migrants that are crossing the border, you're still overwhelming a system because the system does not work. Like there isn't a system here that's going to, that has the capacity necessarily to kick out 178,000 people that are crossing in a month. That, That just doesn't work that way. And especially if there's a legal, and this is like international law and U.S. law, that there is a legal right for you to seek asylum. That So if you legally can seek asylum, then the people that are crossing the border aren't doing anything wrong because that is how you, like, to seek asylum, you have to be on U.S. soil to seek it. So that's what they're doing. And legally, they can do that. But if you're saying you don't want 178,000 people to do that a month, in those conditions of, you know, crossing a border, risking their lives, paying thousands of dollars to smugglers. If that, if you're saying that you don't want that, well, then something has to change in those countries to, you know, make some of those people decide, okay, I don't want to leave my country. I want to, to stay. Um, So that's kind of the challenging part too, is like how much of a role does the United States have to play in this? How much money does the United States have to give? how actually involved in the distribution of the money does it have to be? Um, and I guess those are kind of all open questions that the, the Biden administration has to figure out. As you've reported from the border um, and, you know, we see a, just the majority of talking heads and you know, politicians and, and the like, um, you know, all have their own takes on this. What do you wish for just 
people to be better informed about what's going on there? You know, what do you wish that people would be able to pay more attention to? Well, actually, I'll pivot to that question. What is what is something that's not being reported nearly enough to better understand what's happening at the border? I mean, I think my biggest takeaway from when I went down there, which I mean, that was like a formative experience, just not as a not as a journalist, not as an immigration reporter, but just genuinely like as a human being, like going there and firsthand seeing the families small, you know, we, you hear this rhetoric, you hear all the rhetoric around it of this crisis and this invasion and all these people are storming the border and there's a surge and all this stuff. And then you actually go there and you actually see it. And you see all these like young mothers, like 22 year old mothers younger than me that are like holding their three-year-old children, like, you know, and are, are coming with multiple children. And, and you're like, invasion crisis surge like it it you it's just a whole different picture but i think the biggest thing for me from being down there was all these people along the border like border officials i'm talking about you know the mayors of border towns i'm talking about the people that work at the nonprofits that run you know the nonprofits that are helping these people that are arriving they've all seen this for decades and you know, and, and I felt like I was like, oh, wow, I'm like, I'm literally being the media right now. And part of this, because I'm, you know, there's the whole question of the crisis. And now I'm flying in to see what the situation is. And you talk to them and they're like, yeah, all these reporters come every two years. And then every member of Congress comes and says whatever their talking point is. If they're a Democrat, they come and defend the Democrat. If they're a Republican, they come and defend the Republican and they cross fire on this. And then they go back to Washington and they do nothing. And they come back to Washington and they put out all these press releases and do press conferences about whatever's in their interest. But then when it comes down to doing something, they don't do something. And we're the ones that on the day to day are actually trying to like figure it out. Like these people are arriving and we are trying to figure out, you know, how to feed them. We are trying to figure out how to get them to where they're going, because a lot of people that are coming you know, they're, they're not staying in the Texas border town. They're going to meet family in Boston. They're going to meet family in California They're you know, and, and there's all these people that are dedicated to making that happen. Um, so I feel like if we listened a little more <laughs> to the people along the border that are actually dealing with this on a day to day, um, and have been for years, there's just so much to learn, um, on that front. And, and there's different, and there's a complete diversity of opinions on that. There's people along the border that hate it and think, you know, people got to come the right way. They shouldn't be crossing the border. Our cities shouldn't have to be dealing with this. And there's the people that are saying like, no, we could do this in a humane way if there was actually a working system, if there was actually a process in place for us to do this. So. Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny that you say that because we had Jessica Coggins on from the Texas Signal uh, um, and we asked her something similar and she said, you know, talking to local people that are on the ground is often not heard by the D.C. folks. I want to shift and uh, take your media hat off for a second, take your reporter hat off, leave the notepads and the tape recorder on the side. Uh, if a caravan of white Canadians were rushing the Ontario border and the border in Vancouver uh, in Seattle, um, how would the media be covering this? Um, do, am, I, am I wrong in saying that there's a tinge, a little tinge of a racial element to this? Um, uh, how, how, what, what says the media person that's working day to day? Yes. I mean, absolutely. There, there's no question that 
there's a piece of this and and you hear it too in some of the rhetoric of the of the whole crisis is like you know oh the brown people are storming the united states and oh you know the biden administration wants all these people to come because then they're all going to be democratic voters like you hear wild like stories and wild theories around this and yeah it comes down to brownness and it comes down to blackness and it comes down to like racism for sure there's not you know I, I won't say that that is the universal only fueling factor or whatever I will never go as far as making like universal blanket statements but you know that is a huge factor in this for sure I mean that's it's obviously not happening on the Canadian border so people would tell you like well why isn't that happening there um but regardless there is absolutely race involved in this and there's absolutely a a fear of more brownness in the United States yeah I think those people would then find out what socialism is about but oh yeah I want to I want to ask you a question though on a follow-up to that because um you know I, I feel like it, it's so personal to me, obviously, as a son of a person who immigrated here from another country and left this country during a war. Um, and so what do you think the media could be doing better to report on these stories? I've seen some great articles from and, and pieces, excuse me, from Jorge Ramos and his daughter, Paula, uh, about what's happening at the border, similar to what you did. What can the media do better to explain this to folks, to maybe remove that racial element and say, at the end of the day, these are people, like you mentioned, a 22-year-old that has kids and younger than you. Um, what can the media do better to cover this? Well, first of all, shout out to Paola, because she is amazing. She's um, fantastic. I, that piece was I, great. I'm a huge fan. But I mean, there's so much that the media could do better. Like I came back and I, and, and I'm going to be real candid with you guys. Like I came back from Texas and I was so disillusioned. Like I was like, wow, journalism sucks. Like this is just really like exploitative and like going there and interviewing these people. And like, I'm going up to these migrants and having them pour their heart out to me and like, you know, making them relive their trauma to that, you know, to then go to the next migrant and do that. And then the next one, and then, you know, and, and, and then what am I going to do with that? And I mean, I'm really proud of the story that ultimately I put together from that experience. And, and I think that it, you know, I think it, it mattered and it actually told a story about the people and it wasn't so much about the politics. And that's something I'm very proud of, but I think that, you know, the media needs to be better of like not both sides seeing this, um, of like, oh, you know, Republicans say this and Democrats say this, and this is the, you know, and we're just gonna be right in the middle of this. I mean, there's there's been a whole question about, you know, should we be calling it a crisis? And is it, you know, woke policing language to not want to call it a crisis? And I don't, the reason I don't wanna call it a crisis has nothing to do with politics, has everything to do with, when I went to the border and I physically saw like what was happening at the border, you know, people were not swarming the border. People were not like rushing the border. That wasn't how it worked. Um, and I think that like words matter. I think our language around talking about immigration matters. 
I don't think it's because it's like policing or like woke culture or anything or, you know, cancel culture or anything like that. But it's just we wouldn't talk about a surge of people leaving or a surge of people arriving at a basketball game like, oh, the American Airlines Arena when the heat game ends and like that flood of people like we don't talk about like they're surging American Airlines Arena. We wouldn't talk. We don't talk about people that way. Um because that we just don't like that, you know, we, we know that these are human beings and we talk about them in a certain way. So I feel like, you know, when we talk about this crisis, like what is the crisis people seeking asylum in the United States that they're legally able to do that? Is that a crisis? Like I, you know, and like we can maybe say, yeah, there's a crisis of all these unaccompanied children arriving because we're talking about thousands and thousands of children and the United States doesn't have a place to house that, you know, we can get into nuances, but I think that sometimes like the journalism wants like the nice bow, the nice neat bow of a story. And then there isn't nuance. There isn't room for that. Um, and, And I think we need to be better. Like there, there needs to be I get that we need, you know, I get SEO, I get the like, you know, a flashy headline, I get that you want your readers to read your story. And if you get too complicated, maybe you lose them. I I understand all of that. But I think that we need to do a better job of like saying, okay, cool, if you're going to read an immigration story, you're going to read actually what's happening. That's why we have you on. That's why we love your work, Sabrina. Uh, We are going to bash every senator that is uh, uh, opposed to some of this stuff on our Patreon portion. So we are going to move this over to the Patreon portion. But Sabrina Rodriguez, you can check out all of her work at political.com. She's a fantastic immigration reporter. She's an even better person than a reporter. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today, Sabrina. Thank you for having me. That was the fantastic Sabrina Rodriguez. Check out all her work at political.com. Some fantastic articles that she did, not only on like what she mentioned when she traveled to the border and and she wrote about the child arrivals at the southern border back in March. But she recently did a piece where she interviewed, you know, uh, Senator Carper, who's the Senator Tom Carper, who's the uh, Democratic senator from Delaware, who a lot of people consider the Biden whisperer on on some of this in terms of the immigration policies. And she really sat down with him and asked a lot of the questions that we talked about on and off air about, you know, what do we do about that triangle of countries with, you know, Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador? Is it the U.S.'s problem to help? Um, you know, she talked about President Biden under Barack Obama wasn't tasked with some of this because the surges back in during the Obama administration were happening just the same. And, and then the media coverage of it, you know, I think that's a crucial component of it. You know, um, I'm, I'm so glad that she was so candid about how she felt leaving the Southern border, coming back to, you know, and, and being like, you know what, man, this is really not the way we should be covering it. Like I'm, I'm falling into that trap. Nick, what'd you take away from the conversation and the topic overall? There's a reason why we we asked Sabrina to come back on a second time. You know, her her field experience warrants a good conversation. We're excited to in the future talk to her as well. Um, you know, I think she bring she brought a lot to that conversation. I think two of the most important things is one, this is not a recent conversation. You know, border policies haven't changed in 20 years, which means that we're looking at multiple presidential administrations where nothing's been done and multiple houses of or versions of Congress where nothing has been passed. So it's important to understand that and to have her explain that, you know, there are people you know, who work at the border who 
you know, are hoping for something to shift, but they're seeing presidents come and go. They're seeing, you know, sessions of Congress come and go. Nothing's happening. At the same time, understanding the, the importance of nuance in this conversation, you know, too much talk around the border, you know, words like crisis and things like that are thrown around. And it's, it's an oversimplification for a, a massive issue that, that, that demands a lot of nuance and a lot of, um, I'm just reading and learning in order to be better informed. I felt like I felt enriched in that conversation with Sabrina today and having a better understanding, not to mention a fantastic article that she wrote uh, that was kind of the basis for tonight's conversation, just bringing her on to talk more about, you know, field reporting like that. And what is she seeing on the ground that is not being reported really across the, the American media landscape? You know, I always think of the analogy of, you know, you have your regional sports announcers and then mm -hmm. your team plays a national game on ESPN and you're like, man, this announcer knows nothing of what he's talking about. And I feel like she mentioned that in the episode, uh, Jessica Coggins mentioned, mentioned that on the Texas episode. It's like the people entrenched day to day know what's really happening there. The mayors, you know, the sheriffs. And even that is politicized from the angle of some have really far right-leaning takes. Some of them have far left-leaning takes in terms of offering asylum and things like that. So there's so much to the border, folks. I encourage you to head to political.com and check out all of Sabrina's work. Uh, speaking of dot-coms and you want to check out some more work, you can head to youtube.com, watch the video of our interviews, and you can head to patreon.com and check out all of our additional content that we did on this episode with Sabrina. Nick's flashing a dollar-dollar bill sign. Head there. We had some fantastic conversation with Sabrina about a bunch of different topics uh, ranging from not only the border, but also an article that she recently wrote about the Black Lives Matter movement and the support for police going up since last year uh, and the protests that happened in the wake of George Floyd's death. So, so much there. Head to Patreon, type in Can We Please Talk podcast. Or if you're on our episode notes, you can click on the Patreon link. You want to join the conversation, email us, please, folks, email us. Can we please talk podcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear some of your responses on not only this topic that we covered tonight, but other topics that we've been discussing and ones that are upcoming. You can uh, follow us on IG and TikTok at can we please talk podcast on Twitter. Check us out at can we please talk. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching, listening. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Later. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.